Thanks for checking out sermons from Pleasant Valley Community Church. We hope these messages encourage, convict, and inspire you to love and follow Jesus more faithfully as we seek to saturate our city with the hope of the gospel. Our online resources are meant to serve you, but they aren't a replacement for the face-to-face relationships that we were built for. So we really hope that if you're in Owensboro, you'll join us in person on a Sunday morning. And if you live elsewhere, you'll find a local church in your community where you can put down roots and find family. For more resources and to give financially to support the missions and ministries of Pleasant Valley, find us on social media or visit our website at www.pleasantvalley.cc. Hey, y'all, good morning. It's good seeing you. Uh, Go back with me to the mid-90s, assuming you were alive at that time. Some of you were not. Uh, How many of you remember the book and the movie series Left Behind? Yeah, just hearing that is like trauma for some of us, getting brought back up. So if you don't know, it was a series about the end of the world. It's a very famous book series by a guy named Tim LaHaye. It became movies. Kirk Cameron started in it for a while. But Left Behind was about a secret rapture that happened where, just like that, millions and millions of Christians disappeared from the earth. So, like, there's planes falling out of the sky and cars crashing. And then the Antichrist appears on the scene of the world, if you'll remember. And so the Antichrist makes everybody that was left behind get 666, the mark of the beast, on your right hand or your forehead. And if you would not get the mark of the beast, then you would be killed. And so you have in left behind all these people running and hiding out in caves, and it's just awful. And so our youth pastor, is when I was a kid, had the bright idea of making the youth group watch this. And uh, it was just terrorizing to me. And I had nightmares for months or years that I had been left behind. So when you're 13 years old and you watch a movie about the end of the world and the Antichrist and 666 and all this stuff, you are going to be scarred for life. Lots of therapists made lots of money during those days. Even even today in my 40s, if I'm at the grocery store or, you know, the gas station and I, and I buy something and if it pops up on the crash register, $6.66, you know what I'm talking about? I'm like, man, give me a pack of cigarettes anything. I don't even smoke like I'm or Butterfinger. I'm not going to pay 666. It's so ingrained in my head. Now, fast forward to uh, today, 30 something years later from when that series first came out and Time Magazine did a poll about the end of the world. And over half of Americans believe that some kind of uh, natural or man-made disaster will happen that will end the world in the next hundred years. One out of five Americans believe the end of the world will happen in our lifetime. So this is something that is very much on the forefront of a lot of people's minds, whether you're a believer or not. So today, we're going to talk about the end of the world. Welcome to Pleasant Valley Community Church. It's going to be such a happy day. Uh, But we're going to do it a little bit differently. We're going to do an overview of the book of Revelation. We've been walking through the letters to the church in Revelation, but today we're going to do a 30,000-foot flyover of the whole book. And and I'm going to do it this way because out of all the books in the Bible, and there are 66 of them, none of them are more debated or controversial than the book of Revelation. And the reason is, all throughout Revelation, if, if you've read it, it's filled with images of 
beast and eagles and horns and candlesticks and lamps and locusts and seals and and dragons eating babies and and 666 and and all these numbers and so you read the book of revelation if you're anything like you're like me you're like what in the world does this mean? So what I want to do is start by taking us to seminary class for a couple of minutes. Let's do a little biblical hermeneutics. That's a fancy way of saying, how do we study the Bible? So here's kind of principle 101 when you're studying your Bible. Few things are more important than understanding the genre that we are reading. So that term genre, go back to high school, English, lit class, or maybe college. Um, and, and here's a good old Merriam's Webster dictionary definition of genre. Genre is a category of artistic, musical, or literary composition characterized by a particular style, form, or content. So every time you read a piece of music or a book or a magazine article or anything, it's it's a particular genre or style, and they're not all the same. For example, when you read a nonfiction book about let's say, World War II or the Civil War, you're going to understand and interpret that nonfiction book very differently than if you read Harry Potter, which is fantasy, right? Because they're two different genres, not intended to be understood the same. Another example, let's say, grandparents, you're reading a fairy tale to your grandchildren, and there's unicorns, and they all live happily ever after. You're going to understand and interpret a fairy tale very different than if you're reading the Wall Street Journal, for example, right? Why? Because they're two different genres with two different intents for interpretation. So understanding the genre of a text is very important in knowing how to interpret that text. Everybody tracking so far? Well, the same thing is true with the Bible. So on one hand, the Bible is God's inspired holy word written by the Holy Spirit himself. But God wrote the Bible, God inspired the Bible through human authors. And so of all the 66 books in the Bible, many of them are different genres, meaning they're not all to be interpreted the same. A couple of examples. Song of Solomon, uh, right there in the Old Testament, is in what's called the poetic genre. It's poetry. So when you're reading the book of Song of Solomon in the Bible, you're going to interpret and understand that differently than when you're reading the book of Acts, because Acts is what's called a historical narrative, two very different genres. Okay. Another example, the book of Proverbs, one of my favorite books in the Old Testament. It's what's called wisdom literature. You're going to read Proverbs very differently than you would the book of Romans, for example. Romans is what's called um, an epistle or a letter. They're two different genres. Everybody still tracking? Okay. Now, all that to say, to interpret the book of Revelation, the first question we need to ask is, okay, what genre is Revelation? Because if it's historical narrative, I'm going to interpret it one way. If it's poetry, I'm going to interpret it a different way. If it's this or that, I'm going to interpret it a different way. Well, Revelation is what's called apocalyptic literature. The genre is apocalyptic, which is just a great word, I think, to say. Apocalyptic genre is scripture that describes what the end times will be like. That word apocalyptic comes from a Greek word that means to reveal or to unveil. So think mysterious, telling the future. Like the, the book of Revelation actually self-identifies as apocalyptic literature. Look at the very first 
phrase in the book of Revelation. Holy Spirit uh, inspires the author, John, and he writes, the revelation of Jesus Christ that God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. That word revelation in verse one comes from the Greek word apocalypsis, okay? So apocalyptic literature uses, and this is what makes it so confusing, it uses symbolism, dreams. Next Sunday, we're gonna start the book of Daniel. It's got a lot of dreams in it that are to be interpreted about the future. Apocalyptic literature uses Symbolism, dreams, numbers, 666, 1000, word pictures, beasts coming out of the sea, dragons eating babies. You see all of that in Revelation. It's images that are very odd and confusing to us if we're honest, right? So apocalyptic literature by nature, it's, it's almost a secret, uh, but it's giving us glimpses of what is to come in the future through the use of symbols and imagery. And again, there's really two apocalyptic books in the Bible. The first is Daniel, and as John mentioned, next Sunday we start a verse-by-verse study of the book of Daniel. So if you are into the end times or lion's dens, come back for the study of Daniel. But then, but then secondly, the most classic, the most famous book in the Bible probably, at least in terms of apocalyptic literature, of course, is the book of Revelation. So uh, here's what Dr. Richard Taylor writes. He's an Old Testament scholar. Look at what he says about this genre. He says, of the many genres of biblical literature, apocalyptic is perhaps the most challenging to understand, due in part to its frequent use of figurative language and its adoption of strange and even bizarre. Can we be honest? Dragons eating babies, that's kind of bizarre, right? Its decipherment and interpretation are anything but obvious, leading to reader confusion and disorientation. So if you've ever read Revelation and felt disoriented or confused, you're, you're normal, that's okay. Now, that, that makes some people want to run far, far away from it. Say, it's too confusing, why even bother? Don't do that. That's an overcorrection. In fact, Revelation is the only book in the Bible where the author says you're actually blessed if you read it. So just because it's hard and confusing doesn't mean shy away from it. Like, dig in, read it. But here's what I think the implication is. Um, Because it is so difficult to understand, we should go into it with humility. We should go into it understanding that I think God made Revelation difficult to understand on purpose. I think he does that to to keep us humble. I think he does that for any number of reasons. But I think when we go into the book of Revelation, we got to remember that even when we think we have it totally figured out, we should be quite sure that we do not. So I just want to say this, and this is for me too. If you're following, you know, a Bible teacher or somebody on YouTube or some author you like, and they're claiming to have like the final word on Revelation and like they can tell you exactly what Jesus is coming back, like they may have good intentions, but I would run far, far away from that teacher. Because Jesus himself said, 
He didn't know when, when he was coming back. Like if, if in Matthew chapter 24, he says, concerning the day and hour of, of his second coming, no one knows, neither the angels of heaven nor the son, except for the father alone. So if Jesus himself is like, I ain't sure when I'm coming back, I'm pretty sure that guy over in Pakistan doesn't know either, right? So we want to go into it with, with humility. Now, here's the problem with Revelation. So often, we miss the forest for the trees. Here, here's, here's my temptation. Maybe it's yours too. When, when you read Revelation, we get so caught up talking about the seven-year tribulation. And is the rapture going to happen before the tribulation or in the middle or after? Who is the Antichrist? I have some family, and every Thanksgiving, they one of the uncles thinks he's figured out who the Antichrist is. And like every year, it's a different person. It never ends up being him. And so we get so obsessed about 666 and this and that. And, and, and you know, the thousand years, is it literal or not? And again, it's nothing wrong with studying all that, but when we get so infatuated and obsessed with all the symbolisms and, oh, well, that clearly refers to Russia, and this must mean the United States of America. And you know, when we do that, we miss the main point of the book. It's not what Revelation is about to try to give us all the details of all these things. What God wants to capture our attention with the end times is not the tribulation or 666 or the Antichrist. But at the end of the world, God wants the spotlight and the glory and the infatuation and the attention to be on only one, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. The main point of Revelation is not the Antichrist. It's Jesus Christ. So while we don't know all the details about the second coming, there are some major themes in Revelation that God has made very, very clear. And so for the next several minutes, I'm going to show us eight things we know for sure from the book of Revelation, the things that we know God wants us to know. And to do that, if you're a guest, it's going to be a little different kind of sermon. I'm just going to read the Word of God to us. I'm going to let Revelation speak for itself. Without me trying to interpret all the little details, we're just going to read it 30,000 foot, big scope, big picture, a survey from beginning to end. And this is what God wants us to know about the second coming of Jesus. So let's bow our heads and... Let's just prepare ourselves to hear the word of God read over us. And we're all different kinds of learners and engagers. If you're more of a visual person, we're going to have the verses I'm reading up on the screens for you. Maybe you just want to track right along with me. If you try to keep up with me in your Bible, turning pages, you're not going to be able to do that. But I'm going to go fast. But but maybe, maybe you're one that gets easily distracted, you know, and maybe you just want to close your eyes and just let the Word of God be read over you, and you can just soak it in. That's however you want to do it. But just take a moment and prepare your heart to hear the revelation of Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus, help us not be distracted 
Help our minds not to wonder. But Lord, for the next several minutes, wholly captivate us with the revelation of Jesus Christ. May the word of God as it's read do a great work in our hearts. Help us through the word to behold the glory of Christ and to be changed by it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Here's the first thing we see. During the end times, the wrath of God will fall upon the earth during a terrifying time of tribulation. Many people believe that will happen specifically during a seven-year tribulation. But this is what's going to happen. Then I saw Christ open the sixth seal. A violent earthquake occurred. The sun turned black like sackcloth made of hair. The entire moon became like blood. The stars of heaven fell to the earth as a fig tree drops its sunripe figs when shaken by a high wind. The sky was split apart like a scroll being rolled up, and every mountain and island was moved from its place. Then the kings of the earth, the nobles, the generals, the rich, the powerful, and every slave and free person hid in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. And they said to the mountains and to the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of the one seated on the throne or from the wrath of the Lamb, because the great day of their wrath has come. Who is able to stand? And the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to blow them. The first angel blew his trumpet and hail and fire mixed with blood were hurled to the earth. So a third of the earth was burned up. A third of the trees were burned up and all the green grass was burned up. The second angel blew his trumpet as something like a great mountain ablaze with fire was hurled into the sea. So a third of the sea became blood, a third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. I looked and heard an eagle flying high overhead, crying out in a loud voice, woe, woe, woe to those who live on the earth. He opened the shaft of the abyss, and smoke came up out of the shaft like smoke from a great furnace, so that the sun and the air were darkened by the smoke from the shaft. And Locusts came out of the smoke on the earth, and power was given to them like the power that scorpions have on the earth. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any green plant or any tree, but only those people who do not have God's seal on their foreheads. The locusts were not permitted to kill them, but were to torment them for five months. Their torment is like the torment caused by a scorpion when it stings someone. In those days, people will seek death and will not find it. They will long to die, but death will flee from them. Then I heard a voice say to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, release the four angels bound at the great river Euphrates. So the four angels who were prepared for the hour, day, month, and year were released to kill a third of the human race. If anyone worships the beast in its image and receives the mark on his forehead or on his hand, he will also drink the wine of God's wrath, which is poured full strength into the cup of God's anger. 
He will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the sight of the holy angels and in the sight of the lamb and the smoke of their torment will go up forever and ever. There is no rest day or night for those who worship the beast in its image or anyone who receives the mark of its name. Then another angel threw them into the great wine press of God's wrath. Then the press was trampled outside the city and blood flowed out of the press up to the horses' bridles for 180 miles. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, go and pour out the seven bowls of God's wrath on the earth. The first went and poured out his bowl on the earth and severely painful sores broke out on the people who had the mark of the beast and who worshiped its image. The second poured out his bowl into the sea. It turned to blood like that of a dead person and all of life in the sea died. The third poured out his bowl into the rivers and the springs of water and they became blood. I heard the angel of the water say, you are just the holy one who is and who was because of you. You've passed judgment on these things because they poured out the blood of the saints and the prophets, but God, you had given them blood to drink. They deserve it. I heard the altar say, yes, Lord God, the almighty, true and just are your judgments The fourth poured out his bowl on the sun. It was allowed to scorch people with fire. And people were scorched by the intense heat. So they blasphemed the name of God who has the power over these plagues. And they did not repent and give God glory. The fifth poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast. And his kingdom was plunged into darkness. And people gnawed their tongues because of their pain. And they blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores. But they did not repent of their works. Then there were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and a severe earthquake occurred like no other since people have been on the earth. So great was the earthquake. The great city split into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. Babylon the great was remembered in God's presence, and God gave her the cup filled with the wine of his fierce anger and every island fled and the mountains disappeared. Enormous hailstones, each weighing about a hundred pounds, fell from the sky on people and they blasphemed God for the plague of hell because that plague was extremely severe. There's a lot we don't know about the end times, but what God has made very clear is that during the end times, he will unleash his wrath upon the earth. And notice none of the angels are saying to God, this isn't fair. As God unleashes his wrath on sinners, the angels are applauding God, saying they are getting exactly what they deserve because they have sinned against your holiness. And the wrath of God will be revealed in Revelation. But secondly, Christians, Wherever we find ourselves during those final days, God calls his people to persevere in the faith. This is a clear theme in Revelation. There's a lot of debate on whether or not Christians will go through the tribulation. Some Christians think we will be raptured before the tribulation. That is, taken to heaven and watched from heaven, all the bad things happening down here. Some scholars think we will go through half of the tribulation. Others think Christians alive at the time of the second coming will go through all. The fact is, we don't know for sure. 
But here's what we do know for sure. A clear theme of Revelation is that things are not going to get easier and better for Christians in the end times. We're never promised an exemption from suffering. But the message, Christians, come hell or high water, come persecution, come martyrdom. We must persevere with Christ and never deny Christ. Christ says in chapter 2 to the one who conquers, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. The one who conquers will never be harmed by the second death. The one who conquers and who keeps my works to the end, I will give him authority over the nations. The one who conquers will be dressed in white clothes, and I will never erase his name from the book of life, but will acknowledge his name before my father and before the angels. The one who conquers, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. To the one who conquers, Christian, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I also conquered to sit down with my father on his throne. And then he says in chapter 13, Christian, if anyone is to be taken captive, into captivity he goes, meaning some will be taken captive. If anyone is to be killed with a sword, with a sword he will be killed. This calls for endurance and faithfulness from the saints. So wherever we find ourselves during suffering of the end times, if we're alive for that, God calls us to persevere in the faith. Jesus said in Matthew 10, the one who endures to the end will be saved. Even if we stare persecution in the face, we must not deny Christ. If they threaten to take our job, our family, our home, our very lives, we must not deny Christ. We must persevere and conquer with Christ. So Christians, let's wake up. Let's be prayed up. Let's be ready. We don't want to get caught sleeping when Christ comes. But third, during the end times, the Bible is very clear that there will be an intensified unleashing of Satan, the Antichrist, and all the evil forces against the kingdom of Christ. This is a cosmic war unlike the world has ever known. Because John the Revelator says, I saw a beast. Many interpreters take that to be the Antichrist. This final figure who comes in opposition to all things Jesus. And this beast comes up out of the sea. It had 10 horns and seven heads, and on its horns were 10 crowns, and on its heads were blasphemous names. The beast, the Antichrist, was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. That's three and a half years. What some would interpret as the last half of the seven-year tribulation. The Antichrist began to speak blasphemies against God, to blaspheme his name and his dwelling, those who dwell in heaven. And the Antichrist was permitted to wage war against the saints and to conquer them. It was also given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. All those who live on the earth will worship the beast. Everyone whose name was not written from the foundation of the world in the book of life of the lamb who was slaughtered. Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth. It also performs great signs. 
even causing fire to come down from heaven to earth in front of people. And it makes everyone small and great, rich and poor, free and slave to receive a mark on his right hand or on his forehead so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark, the beast's name, or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast because it is the number of a person. Its number is 666. Then I saw three unclean spirits like frogs coming from the dragon's mouth, from the beast's mouth, and from the mouth of the false prophet, for they are demonic spirits performing signs. Quickly, I want to insert this. Just because you see a sign or a wonder or a miracle does not mean it's from God. There are false prophets and false teachers, and there are miraculous things happening all around the world. Many of them are from the devil himself to deceive the people of God. So you must discern. They are demonic spirits performing signs who travel to the kings of the whole world to assemble them for the battle on the great day of God, the Almighty. So they assembled the kings at the place called in Hebrew, Armageddon. Hollywood has made hundreds of millions of dollars around this idea of Armageddon and the end times and the apocalypse. But Revelation says Armageddon is real. And Hollywood knows nothing of its true terror and horror for that great cataclysmic battle between God and Satan. Because I saw the beast, the kings of the earth, and their armies gathered together to wage war against Christ and against his army. So during the end times, the Bible is clear, there will be an intensified unleashing of evil, of Satan, his demons, the Antichrist, against the kingdom of Christ. But through and though the armies of the enemy are going to mount against the kingdom of our God, number four, then the Lord Jesus Christ will come out of the clouds, physically return to earth in great power, and every eye is going to see Christ. Though the armies are mounting, Christ is going to steal the day. Look. Christ is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him and all the tribes of the earth will mourn over Christ. Then I looked and there was the lamb standing on the Mount Zion and with him were 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. And it is my favorite passage in the Bible because then I saw heaven opened up and there was a white horse its rider is called Faithful and True, and with justice, Christ judges and makes war. Christ's eyes were like a fiery flame, and many crowns were on his head. Christ had a name written that no one knows except himself. Christ 
is going to wear a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies that were in heaven follow Christ on white horses wearing pure white linen, and a sharp sword will come from the mouth of Jesus so that Christ might strike the nations with it. Christ will rule them with an iron rod. He will trample the winepress of the fierce anger of God the Almighty. And Jesus has a name written on his robe and on his thigh, King of kings and Lord of lords. Brothers and sisters, we've read the end of the book. And number five, when Christ returns, he will destroy once and for all Satan and his kingdom. In chapter 12, the great dragon was thrown out. The ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the one who deceives the whole world, he was thrown down to earth and his angels with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ has now come because Satan, the accuser of our brothers and sisters, who accuses them before our God day and night, he has been thrown down. But the Antichrist was taken prisoner And along with its false prophet who had performed the signs in its presence, both of them, Antichrist and false prophet, were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. When the thousand years are completed, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea. They came up across the breadth of the earth and surrounded the encampment of the saints the beloved city. Then fire came down from heaven and consumed them, and the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet are, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Brothers and sisters, Satan has come to steal, kill, and destroy. He lives to make our lives a living hell. But child of God, persevere. The devil's day is coming. His day is coming, and in Romans chapter 16, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. And with the destruction of Satan, number six, at the end, there will be a final judgment of sinners not covered by the blood of Christ. Some of us need to listen very closely to this section. Because if anyone is not in Christ this morning, if you've not turned from your sins and believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, my friends, I plead with you to take heed because you will experience what I'm about to read. Because John says, I saw a great white throne, and one seated on it. Earth and heaven fled from the presence of Christ, and no place was found for them. I also saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne. And books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by what was written in the books. Then the sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. Each one was judged according to their works. 
Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. Anyone, no matter who your mama is, who your daddy is, who your preacher is, anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. But then, number seven, the Bible is clear in Revelation that final salvation and eternal peace is coming for all of God's children, along with the ending of all sin and suffering. Is anyone suffering this morning? Is anyone exhausted? Are you weary? Are you tired? Is that old body giving out? Have you taken about all you can take of this world? Child of God, be comforted with these words. One of the elders asked me, who are these people in white robes and where did they come from? And I said to him, sir, you know that he told me these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. For this reason, they are before the throne of God, and they serve him day and night in his temple. The ones seated on the throne will shelter them. They will no longer hunger. They will no longer thirst. The sun will no longer strike them, nor will any scorching heat. For the lamb who is at the center of the throne will shepherd them. He will guide them to springs of the waters of life, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. And then I heard a loud voice from the throne. Look, God's dwelling is with humanity, and God will live with them, and they will be his peoples, and God himself will be with them, and will be their God, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death will be no more, and cancer will be no more, and heart disease will be no more. And car accidents will be no more, and addiction and depression and suicide will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. Then the one seated on the throne, that's Jesus, said, look, I am making everything new. He then carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. Okay, I got to cheat here and say something. One of the greatest misconceptions about heaven is that the final heaven will be up there. Friends, heaven is coming down. God's reclaiming the earth, the Garden of Eden restored. Heaven's coming down. God's not just saving sinners. He's saving the mountains and the trees and the ground we walk on. And this new Jerusalem will be this massive mega city, the capital city of the new heavens and the new earth. And there'll be commerce. 
and there'll be food and there'll be enjoyment and there'll be relationships. Heaven is coming down. It's going to be arrayed in verse 11 with God's glory and her radiance was like a precious jewel, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. And the city, can you envision this? The city was pure gold, clear as glass. The 12 gates of, that's of the capital city of heaven. The 12 gates are 12 pearls. Each individual gate was made of a single pearl. The main street of the city was pure gold, transparent as glass. Then he showed me, how beautiful is this going to be? The river of the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the city's main street. This, the tree of life, remember that from the Garden of Eden? It's coming back. And this time, everybody gets to eat from it. The tree of life was on each side of the river, bearing 12 kinds of fruit, producing its fruit every month. There'll be seasons in heaven. I think there'll be fall and spring and winter and summer and all. It'll be glorious. The leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations, and there will be no longer any curse. Remember Genesis 3, the curse? That's going to be reversed. No more COVID, no more tornadoes, no more tsunamis, no more racism, no more terrorism, no more abuse, no more loneliness, because the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city and his servants will worship him. Brothers and sisters, the streets of gold and heaven are going to be amazing. No more suffering. What a joy. We're going to be reunited with loved ones. I get to see my mom again and my dad again. But the greatest thing about heaven won't be the streets of gold. The greatest thing about heaven is going to be Christ is there. Because John says, I did not see a temple in heaven. Because the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it because the glory of God illuminates it and its lamp is the Lamb. Night will be no more. People will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun because the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. And now here's the final and the prevailing main theme of the book of Revelation, number eight. The Lord Jesus Christ will reign and Christ will be glorified and exalted forever and ever because flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder came from the throne of Christ. Day and night, they never stop saying, holy, 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 Lord God, the Almighty who was, who is, and who is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to the one seated on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before the one seated on the throne, and they worship the one who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne, and they say, our Lord, our God, you are worthy to receive glory and honor and power because you have created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. Then I saw one like a slaughtered lamb standing in the midst of the throne, why does Christ present himself as one slaughtered? Why will there still be nail scars in his hand? Probably to remind us the only reason anybody's going to be in heaven is because Christ died for us. Nobody deserves this place but Christ hung on a cross to save sinners. 
and will behold him for a billion years and will never forget the lamb who is slaughtered for me. And I looked and heard the voice of many angels. Can you imagine this sound? Many angels around the throne and also the living creatures and of the elders and their number was countless thousands plus thousands of thousands. And they said with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slaughtered to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. All the adjectives they can think of go to Christ. I heard every creature in heaven, on earth, under the earth, on the sea, everything in them say, blessing and honor and glory and power to the one seated on the throne and to the lamb forever and ever. The four living creatures said, amen. And the elders fell down on their faces and worshiped Christ. And after this, I looked and there was a vast multitude from every nation, tribe, people, and language from Pikeville to Pakistan, from Indiana to Indonesia, from Weissville to Wyoming, from Kentucky to Kyrgyzstan. Nobody could number them. Standing before the throne and before the Lamb, they were clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels stood around the throne. And along with the elders and the four living creatures, they fell face down before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and strength to be our God forever and ever. Amen. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven, saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. Never again will we have to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, because it has and it will. Lord, who will not fear and glorify your name? For you alone are holy, and all the nations will come and worship before you because your righteous acts have been revealed. And then I heard something like the voice of a vast multitude, like the sound of cascading waters, Niagara Falls times 10 billion, like the rumbling of loud thunder saying, hallelujah, because our Lord God, the Almighty reigns. Be glad, rejoice, give him glory, because the marriage of the Lamb has come. Brothers and sisters, we don't know when Christ is coming, but it could be tonight. Jesus says in chapter 22, look, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. He who testifies about these things says, yes, I am coming soon. And now, brothers and sisters, let's read this underlined portion together. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Let's do it again. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Let's stand together. Brothers and sisters, we can get so caught up in all the images and details and revelation that we missed the main point. And the main point is not who is the Antichrist. The main point is Jesus Christ. 
He is glorious. He is amazing. He is powerful. And every knee will bow and every tongue will confess he is Lord. So right now, let's worship like they worship in Revelation. This will be our experience. Let's get a little glimpse now of heaven then. And that might mean falling on our faces like the elders. That's saying hallelujah. That's shouting amen. That's clapping. That's all the worship to the glory of Christ. Let's worship now in Jesus' name like we never have because he's worthy. Amen. Thanks for checking out sermons from Pleasant Valley Community Church. For more resources and to give financially to support the missions and ministries of Pleasant Valley, find us on social media or visit our website at www.pleasantvalley.cc.